Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. Let's go, let's go. Welcome back to our discussion through the Book of James. Sort of a running commentary, pulling out of this letter uh, the emphasis that James puts on the clash between genuine Christianity and classism. And I've been saying all along in earlier episodes that James was intolerant of any kind of Christianity that treats or even speaks of other people as non-persons. I mean, he confronts any supposed Christian that is prejudiced against anyone else that isn't in their class. You know, whether on the basis of socioeconomics or ethnicity or gender or social privilege or lack thereof. And so in the first section of chapter 3, though it might not look at first glance like it addresses classism directly, I, I, I really hope to show you that it does, at the very least, have an indirect connection to the theme that I think was in James' mind when he wrote it. So chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So that's just verses 1 and 2. So I said in one of my earlier episodes that there is a connection between how we talk to one another and about one another and the blasphemy of favoritism and a class-filled kind of Christianity. Christianity and classism, I'm going to say it again, they clash. I think James' repeated reference to how we communicate is at least opaquely related to supposed class distinctions. I mean, I think James is saying that the way the upper class and the lower class talk about one another should reflect a mutual respect and honor as opposed to demeaning and disrespectful talk. And so, you know, when he refers to teachers here, maybe he had some particular ones in mind who uh, taught a class-filled faith, and, and he's warning them against God's judgment for it. I mean, he already said that there would be judgment without mercy for the unmerciful. And so he's saying the same thing here about being judged by God. So maybe he has the same sin in mind, that of being without mercy. And in this case, certain teachers who teach and or model unmerciful behavior, you know, a class-filled faith. I, I mean, I think James is talking about teachers in the church for sure, but could this also apply to the talk that Christians who have a quote-unquote teaching role in society do? I mean, is there something here that Christians in politics or Christians on radio or Christians in other media roles or even social media should glean from this message? I mean, especially in these days of rancor and anger in the media and social media. Christians, we just we just have to take James' advice to tone down the rhetoric and combative speech. 
a while back, I wrote to such a friend of mine in the media and asked them to do just that, to speak more like a Christ follower that I know that they are. Um, and, it, and it seems like Christian media is, in our day, no less vitriolic, and in some cases even more so, than their secular counterparts. I mean, the name-calling, the hateful talk, absolutely does not befit Christians in general, and Christian media people in particular. So another so-called media personality that I'm familiar with, I'm not personal friends with in this case, who is particularly abusive to anyone who disagrees with his politics, and he calls them idiots and stupid and evil scum. I mean, one of his favorite labels for people who take another side from him is is vermin. I mean, how in the world can a Christ-filled believer not be convicted by that kind of talk, especially in the public arena? And how in the world can Christ-filled believers not be convicted by listening to and regurgitating, repeating that kind of talk. Well, anyway, getting back to the church and its its leaders, I'm going to go out on a limb and just propose that there are a lot of preachers today also who inadvertently, at the best, teach a, a class-filled faith in the way that they speak of success and the way they speak of prosperity as a result of, you know, strong faith and spirituality, they draw this straight line between super faith and financial success. And of course, their favorite text is Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I, God says, I have plans to prosper you, uh, which I'm just not going to go off on right now. But I do would refer you to uh, to my blogs and a, and a podcast in this same SoundCloud account, called In the Meantime, Bless Babylon, What Jeremiah 29, 11 Really Means. That's the title. In the Meantime, Bless Babylon, uh, What Jeremiah 29, 11 Really Means. Anyway, moving on. In verse 3, he says, We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And when we do that, we turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example, James says. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder whenever the, the pilot wants to go, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water 
and salt water flow from the the same spring? But my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olive olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So I think the key to this whole section is James' statement that our fellow humans have been made in God's likeness, in his image. And so cursing human beings made in God's likeness and image, it's blasphemous in the same way that cursing God is blasphemous. I mean, if you're a parent, you know that if one of your kids were being cursed, you wouldn't be able to stand by and just let it happen. If that's how you feel, you know, about your kids, how does it, how does it make God feel when his kids curse one another? I mean, I think he takes it personally. I think the way we talk about and to one another gives us away as classless or not. Name calling, labeling, put down, speaking in condescending tones and ways, speaking down to people below us, uh, quote unquote below, or about those over us in socioeconomic terms is it's it's absolutely unacceptable to God. Jesus said, out of, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So then James goes into talking about wisdom, not as an abstract concept, but as it plays out in, in our lives. So and I hope to show you that how he's not just jumping from one theme to another, like in Proverbs, but that James is talking about how living wisely confronts classism. So, Chapter 3, verse 13 of James. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And in the way that the Message Bible uh, translates this, uh, part of this is mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourselves sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats, end quote. I think that's a beautiful translation or paraphrase. Wise people, James says, don't claim superiority uh, superiority over other people. They're not classists. They're not bigots. They're not chauvinists. They don't possess an intellectual elitism. He says that humility, he talks about humility that comes from wisdom. <clears throat> and I, I mentioned earlier in an earlier uh, episode how humility is central to James, James thinking about what a true Christian looks like. He, he repeatedly mentions humility versus pride throughout the epistle. Uh, I'll just quote a few things that he said. He talks about deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
He says, don't boast about it or deny the truth. He said, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He wrote, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up. And lastly, he said, don't you boast and brag all such boasting is evil. So humility versus uh, pride is, is, a, is on James' mind. And, and he calls it bitter envy and selfish ambition here. That sounds a lot like class-filled faith to me, a mean-spirited ambition. In other words, it's when I, when I want what someone else has, more than that, I deserve what they have. I, I'm obviously smarter and therefore more worthy than they are, they are, and I should have more than them. I'm obviously better. I'm obviously uh, more, I'm more handsome. I'm prettier. I'm, I'm uh, from the right place. I speak the right language. I have the right color. I should have more than they do. I mean, you know, envy is one thing, but bitter envy is what James calls this. And ambition is one thing, but James calls this selfish ambition. That's a different thing. So the sin of envy and ambition is, it, it, I'm not saying it's exclusive to the rich, because both the rich and the poor can be equally covetous, right? I mean, I want to be on a higher rung of the social ladder, I'm poor and should be rich, or I'm rich and I should be richer. You know, <clears throat> Paul uh, said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, uh, in the New Living Translation, he said, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What an, uh, an indicting passage. People who long to be rich, not just, uh, you know, rich, it'd be cool to be rich, but they long to be rich. And they fall into temptations and a trap that, and many foolish and harmful desires and plunge them into ruined destruction. So what, a, what an indicting passage. But James calls this selfish ambition, whereas Paul in Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And, and I'm sure that you're familiar, familiar with the term shalom, that Old Testament word for peace. You'll hear uh, Jewish people, uh, Messianic Jews, uh, say often shalom to each other as a as a as a greeting or as a as a goodbye. You know, to say be in peace, walk in peace, live in peace, be at peace. But it's so much richer a term than just peace. Uh, because I'm going to propose to you that the opposite of shalom is uh, is favoritism. It's a it's a social ladder climbing and and putting others down in order to climb up. Shalom is is a classless Christianity, and I love Tim Keller's definition of shalom. Uh, and, and and when he speaks of God as a craftsman or an artisan who turns tangles into tapestries. And it's a, it's a long quote. Let me read it, and I hope you'll be able to follow. 
This comes from his book uh, called Generous Justice. He says this, and I quote, If you throw thousands of pieces of thread onto a table, no fabric results. The threads must be rightly and intimately related to one another in literally a million ways. Each thread must go over, under, around, and through the others at thousands of points. Only then do you get a fabric that is beautiful and strong, that covers, that fits, that holds, that shelters and delights. God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, let me say that word again, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness, that's a key word here, interwovenness, is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. The only way to reweave and strengthen the fabric is by weaving yourself into it. Human beings are like those threads thrown together onto a table. If we keep our money, our time, our power for ourselves, instead of sending them out to into other neighbors' lives, then we may be literally on top of one another, but we are not interwoven socially, relationally, financially, and emotionally. Reweaving shalom means to sacrificially <clears throat> thread, lace, and press your time, goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs of others. End quote. Isn't that a great illustration? You can see that classism is when the threads, when humans, like threads, were in competition with each other, vying for position. We're on top of each other. We're just a big jumble. And that's what happens in a church and in a society and in communities where there is no shalom, where we're just uh, in, in contest with each other. We're, we're classists. Shalom is either giving away our position for the sake of the community or giving out of our privileged position for the community's sake. So an attitude of superiority doesn't come, James says, uh, that you know, lack of shalom, it doesn't come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and he says demonic. In other words, trying to be better than everybody else whether for you know your possessions or your position is what earthly wisdom looks like and we didn't learn that from god that didn't come from heaven that's an earthbound spirit a, a world's wisdom and, and this you know this begs the question well how much of our conduct your conduct and mine comes from heaven versus hell i mean we have to think about that, right? I mean, Jesus said that, uh, that the Pharisees, <clears throat> that their efforts to evangelize, I think this is in Matthew 23, it only made people twice the children of hell as them. <laughs> and, and so you might think you're being spiritual when in reality you're, you're being quite unspiritual and worldly. 
So, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question, how much of our spirituality is just soulish, not spiritual, but soulish? That is, it doesn't come from the deepest part of us. You know, our uh, soul is made up of three parts, intellect, emotion, and will. Our spirit is that place where God dwells, that deepest place, versus our soul, intellect, emotion, and will. And I think a classist Christianity bases its superiority on our kind of outer two layers, body and soul. It's from those two layers, body and soul versus spirit, that we make our comparisons among ourselves. You know, we compare ourselves in terms of the outermost layer. Let's call it the outermost layer, the body. I'm stronger than you. I'm more beautiful than you. I'm more resilient than you. Uh, therefore, I'm superior to you uh, because you don't have as much strength or beauty as resilience as, as I. And I, I just think a lot of people have a shallow brand of Christianity that's only skin deep. And, and, and some Christians seem to be, oh, maybe a little bit deeper into the soul, the intellect, emotion, and will, but not, that's not that much deeper, actually. It's deeper but not as deep as we, we ought to be. You know, that, that soulish part of us made up of intellect, emotion, and will, the power to think, the ability to feel, and the ability to choose. I mean, what awesome abilities we possess, abilities that distinguish us of, you know, from the inanimate world. But the thing is, we possess these qualities in various degrees and varying degrees. We're not all the same in intellect. We're not all the same in emotions or in the will. Some of us are born with superior intellects or handle their emotions better than others, or they're more strong-willed than other people. And if you have these strengths, you should be thankful, but never arrogant about it or putting other people down who don't have the, the same uh, level of strength you have in that area. See, these abilities should set us apart from the inanimate world, but not set us apart from one another. Does that make sense? But even though the world says otherwise, neither of those two layers have the human con of the human construct is our most important component, body, soul. Because it's, of course, it's the spirit where it's at. And the Christian spirit is occupied by the Holy Spirit and so that's where, why we have the capability of true, and I'm going to use, put quotes around spirituality. That's what spirituality is, is when we have our spirit occupied this, by the spirit and we follow his lead into true spiritual activity and our soul and our body follow suit. Yeah, it's, it's when we give the Holy Spirit total access to our innermost being. And the problem is a lot of Christians live primarily from and for their outer shell, the body, or from the next shell down, their, their soul, but rarely seem to have much to do with their spirit. I, I, I'm, I know I sound judgmental, but it, it's my observation. You know, Paul prayed that the Thessalonians would be sanctified spirit, soul, and body. I think that's in 1 Thessalonians 5. Meaning that their whole person would be set apart for God's use. And a lot of people, you know, might call themselves spiritual, but at best they're soulish.
And James says, this kind of wisdom, it comes from the earth and is unspiritual. And if that's not indicting enough, he says this pseudo-wisdom, it's demonic. He says it's from the devil. Keep in mind, I mean, he's talking to believers. He's saying, you believers, you don't get that sort of wisdom from God. You get it, my brothers, from the devil. That's pretty strong terms, pretty strong words. Satan, James is saying, inspires all sorts of toxic beliefs and behaviors. And among them is a spirit of arrogant superiority and classism. And the devil's been doing it from the beginning, hasn't he? He tempted Eve with the words, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You're going to be as great as God. You'll know what he knows, in other words. And so no one has more envy and selfish ambition than the devil. And he's happy to share those things with anyone willing to log in and download that arrogance. And James says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder, that's lack of shalom, yeah? Disorder and every evil practice. Envy in comparison, it just unravels the, fra- the fabric of shalom. It, it, it ruins the possibility of a, of a better society, a better church, a better family, a better person. Instead of order, it brings disorder. And so the person who assumes superiority over other people, uh, over you know other people, thinks the key to order is for everyone to know their place, right? Below them. I'm rich, you're poor. I'm white, you're not. I'm educated, you're not. That, that doesn't bring order. That brings disorder. That brings confusion. And he says, he says James says it, it brings every evil practice. I mean, think about the worst forms of classism in history, like slavery or apartheid. And talk about every evil practice, slavery, apartheid, Jim Crow, dividing up into classes where the upper class has to keep the lower classes down by any means necessary in order to be the the class in power and maintain it. You know, heads got to roll, right? Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. It corrupts everything and everyone in its path. But, James says, instead of bitter envy and selfish ambition, uh, there is another kind of wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from heaven. It's, first of all, and he lists these beautiful uh, characteristics. It's, first of all, pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's look at each of these. It's first of all, James says, this wisdom from heaven is first of all pure. You know, it's, it, it's not all confused up. It's not all conflicted up with conflicting agendas. I mean, remember David said in Psalm 27, one thing I desire is to, you know, to be in your presence and, and to, to, uh, to love you and know you. Paul wrote, with this one thing I do, 
you know, putting other things aside. James said, uh, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, these are pure and not convoluted things with convoluted with pride and hate. James says this kind of wisdom is peace loving. There's, it, it doesn't have any intention of fighting for position. There's no classism uh, for the peace loving, right? Because the peace loving says, you know, we're all the same. We're all it's that's where shalom comes. We we're all the same. We get along. We're not we're not just a bunch of threads thrown on top of each other on top of a table. But we're crafted together by God to produce a beautiful fabric of kingdom culture. James says this wisdom is considerate. This is one of my favorite words in the New Testament, epiakis. And it's the, the Greek scholars say about this word epiakis that it's nearly untranslatable because it's just so profound and so vast. But uh, the, the best efforts uh, by the scholars. Uh, have been definitions like epiacus means sweet reasonableness, consider it, sweet reasonableness, not demanding, not judgmental, willing to bend. You can see that, you know, classist Christianity is anything but considerate, right? The caste-oriented person considers no one but himself. Putting others before yourself it's, it's just absolutely absurd to the classist. Well, then James says this wisdom is submissive. And, you know, that's the last thing in the mind of the person who wants to be in charge, who wants to be over other people, who wants to be better than them. I mean, I mean there's no way they're, they're going to wash the feet of other people, the classist. I mean, that's the job of someone who is lower than they are. Jesus' disciples uh, you know, struggled with this submissive spirit, right? So that so he got down and washed their feet and then instructed them to do some of the same. It's submissive. And James says also, this wisdom is full of mercy. James uses this word mercy and merciful quite a bit, along with uh, humble and humility. Um, Earlier, he, when he, he spoke of mercy, he said, judge, he, taught, he said that there would be a judgment without mercy to be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. In other words, you can't look down on people and be full of mercy at the same time. Full of mercy. He said also this, this wisdom is impartial. The Greek word actually means not ambiguous, not, not ambiguous, not shifty. You know, somebody said when you're in Washington, D.C., the, the way to recognize the politicians, when you're out and about, you know, you can't tell who, you know, you're in a public park and you don't know who the politicians are. He said that they're the ones with their finger in the air trying to determine which way the wind is blowing. They just set their sail to the prevailing wind of the opinion of their voters and their, their uh, donors. They... People that are in, that that are not impartial, but that are partial, speak out of both sides of their mouth. You never know where you're at with people like that. But an impartial person treats everybody the same: rich and poor, educated, uneducated, black, white, brown. They're not partial to their quote own kind. They're not classists. 
And James says this heaven-sent wisdom, it's, it's sincere. It's, the Greek word here means straightforward. A, a, a sincere person doesn't glad-hand you and then talk trash behind your back. I mean, they have no pretense. They're genuine. And those who are not sincere claim to care about other people, everybody else, love everybody, but their actions, they, by their actions, they don't show it. And then James says, right at the end of this list, he said, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You know, people with a superior spirit that put, put people in categories and some above others, they're anything but peacemakers. Classism is the opposite of peacemaking. Furthermore, it it's one thing to be a peace lover and another thing to be a peacemaker. He's talking about being peacemakers. He, I mean, he just said that people that with this wisdom, they love peace. Now he takes it to another level and says that they don't just sit back and, and love it and wait for it. They do everything they can to make peace. They're peacemakers. Uh, Paul said in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, live at peace with all people. In other words, always do your part. And, and, and you're doing your part when you treat everybody the same. In a couple of verses earlier in that same chapter in Romans, Paul says, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. I mean, that's the antithesis of classism willing to associate uh, with people of low position might sound a little like force yourself to pretend you like them. But he had just commanded, Paul did in Romans 12, them to be sincere and not shifty. So one version actually says, be not high-minded, but make yourselves equal to them of the lower sort. Equal, not out of you know some noble motive, but in reality, because in reality, we are equal. We are the same. Low-born and high-born, rich and poor, our culture and their culture, men and women, we're equal, equal in God's estimation. Why not in our own estimation can't we find ourselves to be equal with one another? So this is the kind of wisdom that we need in the church today, not some pseudo-wisdom of trying to look wise, the sort that competes for first place, not that brings disorder in every evil practice, but the sort that is purely motivated, the sort that loves peace, is considerate, is submissive, is full of mercy, is impartial, is sincere, and is peacemaking. Well, let me conclude here, but I'm going to warn you that not to be misled by the chapter division. Uh, you know, he ends chapter three with be peace loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, sincere peacemakers. And, and, and then he he's still talking about that. And he says, well, what happens when we're not like that? I mean, James seemed to think that a lot of people in the church aren't like that. So either among themselves or in their dealing with people outside the church. And so he spells it out and he says in the next chapter, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
So we're going to look at that dire description of supposed Christianity next time. But in the meantime, may I encourage us all toward the living, you know, living from a place more deeply inside where the Holy Spirit dwells and where he points us, more than that, empowers us to be like Jesus. I'd like to conclude by reading the message version of the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. Eugene Peterson translates it this way. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you've ever, you've ever eaten. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And lastly, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Let's go, let's go.